the it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> But it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. And there's a classic for every craving. Mix and match two for just $3.50. Like a McChicken, a McDouble, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mouth Off a podcast providing a platform for marginalized groups. I'm Clary Sadler. This week, we're interviewing Michael Phillips, founder and director of Makeup by Mikey. So Michael Phillips, or Mikey, as he's more commonly known as being a TV personality and self-taught makeup artist and hairstylist to the celebs for over 16 years. Mikey, your career began in 2004 and you've been since climbing the ladder in this very competitive industry, an industry that is usually dominated by women. So thanks for joining us today, Mikey. Wow, what an interest. <laughs> I'm quite impressed with myself. <laughs> I'm absolutely exhausted at climbing that ladder, let me tell you. <laughs> well, yours is the classic rags to riches story, if you don't mind me saying. Ooh, makes me just feel really, I just feel really <laughs> like, when it's like rags to riches, I'm like, oh my God, it sounds so weird. Young gay man from the Welsh Valleys moves to London looking for his big break as a musical theatre star, but instead winds up taking the fashion and television industry by storm. So, Mikey, what's your secret? How did you end up carving a career for yourself in a predominantly female profession? Well, there's, there's been two careers. So, obviously, coming from the Valleys, I was like, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to be the next Kylie Minogue. I've got this. Didn't quite go to plan, although there is a gold-selling album, but that is a whole other story. But the makeup career started maybe 2004, and it was basically being an unemployed actor, and I was doing these agency jobs where you spray the fragrance on randoms in stores, which absolutely like living my worst life. And then I was just near this Bobby Brown counter, and they just liked the look of me, and they one day they were like, do you do makeup? I was like... Mm, yeah. So the next thing, get a job on the counter in Croydon. And I was just like, had a little bit of training with Estee Lauder, which looks after the brand. But then you're pretty much thrown onto the counter and you just have to work it out, basically. A little bit like that Catherine Tate character where she's like, can you do that? And she goes, I can do that. That was probably me because I was like, yeah, I can do that. And fast forward, I climbed really quickly. So I got to be a national trainer, an international trainer. But I did keep getting sat. Being an Aquarian, I can't be told what to do. I had a real struggle with that because I always have to do what I think is right. So just continuing that question, I think the career finally started when I was working in Oxford Street. And then you would sit down people in your chair. And obviously, you could be sitting down like an agent, it could be a PR. And this one day, it was a PR. And she was like, oh, you know, really loved the makeup. And she was like, I'm doing a job with Jodie Kidd, who was a really big model at that time. And she was like, I want you to do it. And that was the first celebrity job that I did. Soon after, you got into it, really. I mean, I haven't added up the timeline <laughs> because I don't like to think of age. So it probably is a little bit vague, but there was a good few years on the counter. And that's where I definitely thought, I love makeup, but I hate selling. So I had a real issue with that. 
when I was like, I'm done with the selling, or I've got sacked, which is probably the truth, I was like, right, I can't work in a store anymore. I'm going to work in like one of those makeover studios. Do you remember like you take all the family, you'd have your hair and makeup done like and dress up in outfits and have loads of photos done. <laughs> yeah. You sound like you've been to one of those. Um, Something so very I, similar. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up in one of those studios. And again, I think they saw something in me. They were like, oh God, this one's a bit crazy. I became a manager of that studio again really quickly, but I'm not management material. So I think they were like, right, he's a bit, I don't know, left field or something. Anyway, Anyway, before you know it, I start assisting this makeup brand through the studio on QVC. And then another leap of faith was when I was doing one of the really famous presenters. Her name was Alison Young. And I did her makeup one day to go on the show. And she actually said to me, why are you not on camera? And I was like, I don't know. And the next thing I had an audition and then I was on camera, which then turned into me doing five different countries. List those countries for us. So I used to do the UK, Italy, Germany, Australia and Canada. And yes, I did fly to Australia for 10 days at a time. And the jet lag ones were so bad that obviously QVC is a live show. In Australia, I think it's called, I want to say TVSN, but it's got a like, different name. Yeah. Anyway, I had the best sleep and then my phone was going. So I woke up, I was like, oh, and they were like, Mikey, where are you? I was like, in bed, we've got age. They went, you're on in an hour. So I literally made it to the studio. They were 10 minutes into the show and I had to walk live on air late. <laughs> and obviously I just said to the guys, there you go, proof that it's live TV. So yeah, had a good few years of QVC, which at the time I was absolutely obsessed with, like loved it. So, Mikey, we should probably talk a little bit about our history. You and I go way back. So way back. Way back. We both studied performing arts at Krosky's College. You actually probably know the most secrets about me, I would say, <laughs> than anyone else I know. This Pro could be quite scary. <laughs> probably you and me as well. You actually gave me my first mobile phone, which I believe Did was a, I? a brick, a Philips phone. <laughs> Which I still have. It's in like a box of Shut props. Up. Yeah, I use it for acting sometimes. It's in a box of props. That is hysterical. <laughs> and I still have the same number. So it was your first phone number. And then yeah. you. Yeah. Did it end in 007? 007. That phone number was the best. And you were the first person I ever went gay clubbing with in Cardiff. I know. The first when person. When you were telling me you were straight. Yes, and but then the first person I came out to when I realised I was full of shit. Oh, I know. And do you remember my reaction? I always knew, babes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've just been waiting. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that I saw glimpses of your true calling even back then. I remember you getting me dressed up, doing my hair and makeup on numerous occasions, strategically placing little uh, beauty yeah. spots over actual spots when <laughs> I was trying to cover yeah, up. Don't worry, babe. We can enhance that. But I'll just say one particular outfit that was absolutely hilarious on so many levels. Do you remember red wine-coloured crushed velvet dress a tie-dye crocheted dress over the top yes, of it knee-high boots with about <laughs> four-inch heels never wore heels before in my life did i style this this the first coming out lesbian appearance the first coming out lesbian appearance and i had short hair which you tied up in tiny about 10 small yes. bobbles very bjork 
I just, I only wish we had a photograph of it. Is there no photographic evidence? I don't think so. But that image, I think, is probably quite far removed (laughs) from the quality of your present day portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) It would be nice to be able to compare Uh, it, I think. Slightly different look. But I mean, how iconic that that was your first coming out appearance. I guess my question is, how did you manage, as someone completely self-taught, to hone Uh. your skills from a pantomime dame... (laughs) kind of look to a glamour guru that you are you're going to totally relate to this so i think the first start of makeup was i don't know if you remember but i had really bad skin and i remember my auntie had come over my house one day and she'd somehow left a concealer it was 10 shades too light for me I ended up putting it over my entire face and then I probably put it over your entire face as I well. I think so. It was a rimmel like wind up stick, like chubby stick thing. And that literally was the, that's my first memory of like makeup and as in making yourself look better. And then, as I always say, my entire career is literally by accident. I can't even tell you the answer, whether it's the right place at the right time or the wrong place. I don't know. But luckily, I have worked hard and I've learned the hard way. I think working on a counter is probably the hardest. That's harder than working with a celebrity because you're working with a real person and a real person doesn't have perfect skin or they might have sagging eyelids. Do you know what I mean? So with a celebrity, they've had maybe like work done or they really look after themselves. Yeah. And I think over the years, the makeup just got better and better and better. And then I've always been artistic. So I think luckily it was in there. And I think it's just honing in on those skills. And now I'd say that I've got like a signature look, definitely. So a little bit about your past. You grew up in the lovely mining town of Tredegar. Not the most nurturing surroundings for a (laughs) closeted gay boy who dreamed of seeing his name up in neon lights. Did you get much abuse growing up in relation to things like your sexuality or the fact that you like pop music and Kylie and... What's really interesting about this, I've probably never spoken about this ever. I wasn't badly beaten up, which I'm really thankful for. So I don't think I was one of those children that was like really beaten up through school and had like a really awful time. I remember actually having a really good time. I remember the boys being really confused. So we must have been quite young because they were always like... God, Mikey is so popular with the girls. Because I was obviously always with the girls. And the boys were just like, God, I definitely wasn't Mikey at that point. I was probably Michael. They were just like, what does he do? And they kind of wanted to be my friend. But then probably fast forward to 16 and all that kind of vibe. Oh, the comp, yeah. Sorry, I've like erased it from my memory. I do remember having to pay bullies my lunch money to stop some of the bullies beating me up, basically. But then looking back, it was the bullies that were actually just taking my money, which I didn't really realize at the time. So the bullies were taking my money, saying they were going to protect me, when in fact they were actually just the bullies and I was paying them. And then probably the lowest point was I remember coming out of school and obviously we all want to be like, you know, liked and kind of popular at least. And I would never get the bus home because obviously the bus was too risky because it'd be too full of kids and I'd feel too intimidated, I think. So would never get the bus. But I remember coming around the corner, the bus was there, the windows were open. And I remember this boy, he always used to say something to me. I can't even, I can't even remember his name now. But he spat and like spat right in my face and like shouted some homophobic comment. And that definitely like stuck with me. But I don't know, I've always been comfortable in who I am. 
And also, like, even when I tell my mum, like, when I had to come out, it doesn't define me. That's just who I'm attracted to. That doesn't change my personality or the person that I am. So it definitely isn't, it's just not a big deal to me. The future teaches you to be alone The present to be afraid and cold So if I can't shoot rabbits Then I can't shoot fascists Bullets So as you know, I'm a big Manic Street Preachers fan I even dragged you along to the Millennium New Year gig. Oh, yeah. Much well, we to had your, a rag. We did, much to your dismay. <laughs> and I think by the actual time that the clock struck midnight, we had already fallen out. And if you tolerate this, then your children will be next. And if you tolerate this, then your children will be yeah, we weren't even speaking. That was one of the worst gigs of my life. And I was like, and we've had a massive row. <laughs> I only bring up that story because Nicky Wire, the bass player and lyricist of the Mannix, has been quoted saying that he once got beaten up in Blackwood in the Valleys for wearing a Kylie Minogue t-shirt. Is it mm. true, or have I dreamt this, did you used to wear a mm. Megadeth t-shirt while walking around Tredegar Town to avoid giving off any gay vibes or getting any hassle? I don't know. I don't remember that story. <laughs> I definitely remember wearing some really bad Fruit of the Loom. Or was like, it Iron Maiden, maybe? Some dodgy rock? Maybe. Or was it Rolling Stones? I was going to say, do you even know any Megadeth <laughs> songs or Iron Maiden or Rolling Stones? I don't know about you. I just feel like, and I think especially like where we met and then obviously was in college. Mm-hmm. And I did three years there. How many years did you do? I did two years there. But I remember the first year was probably my most secret because I'd obviously come from school where I was, it probably was turning to be honest, which is why I was glad to leave. I think maybe if I'd stayed, it probably would have got worse, but I think I left at the perfect time. And I just remember the first year of college, well, I basically pretended I had a girlfriend because I didn't know how people would take the news. But I think because it was cross keys and it was near a Newport, and obviously we were doing a performing arts course, I think people were just totally liberal and totally did not care. And I think that's where I definitely came into my own and was like, this is me and I don't care. It was very safe. It was very safe there. Yeah. To what extent did your experiences as an adolescent shape who you are today, Mm. do you think? In what way do you mean? Not necessarily linked to sexuality, because as you said, it's not something that factors into your thought process now. But maybe your upbringing or growing up in the valleys, you said you've very much separated yourself from it now since you've moved Mm. to London. Is that a conscious thing? Did you want to get away from that small-minded valleys? I'm not saying that that's what the valleys are like, (laughs) but some people might think that. I've certainly felt that at times, being from Crumlin. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a very good interview because I've never kind of had to think of the questions in this way. I think, like I said, college was definitely like my most favourite time. I think you remember how sad it was leaving that place. I was literally obsessed. Even when I went to London and went to drama school, I still preferred Crosskeys College to the London drama school experience. I think there's something inside me, I don't know what it was, but there was always something that I just always wanted more. And I'm trying to think back like school, I wanted to be like a singer or something. 
I think you were kind of laughed at, kind of shut down, because I think the valleys at that point, unless you wanted to work in a factory or the local supermarket, there wasn't really much else going on. So I think I just always thought there was more. College probably opened my eyes. Probably quite, probably a risk taker, I would say. So when I think back now and think I was 18, left home and moved to London, that's quite scary, but I don't remember it being scary at the time. And I definitely fought to be in London because I remember going to London at 18, literally working a normal job, running out of money after a year and having to move back to Wales. So I think that could have been a turning point because I could have maybe stayed in Wales. But I was like, no, I have to go back to London. And then I returned to London and went to drama school. After that didn't work out, it was kind of fast forward to what am I going to do now? I don't know, the makeup just came along and I think like with the being on TV I almost think everything has been for a reason if I hadn't gone to drama school would I be able to do live TV so easy I don't know so I almost feel like everything has kind of helped so if you could go back to your younger self Mm. and give him a pep talk what do you think you would say knowing what you know now I think the usual without being cheesy I would Mm -hmm. say that things would be more than okay Throughout your life, it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? There's always going to be ups and downs. But I think maybe when you're young, you're very uncertain and maybe a bit lost. And I think the gay thing, I did feel because I feel like it was in society, maybe more so at that time or more so the area, that I did think it was wrong to be gay. So I definitely remember thinking it was wrong and it was dirty. You know, I might be gay, but like no one must know. I definitely remember that vibe. And then I proceeded to have like a relationship for two and a half years, which was a total secret or that I thought it was, but everyone knew. Yeah. So I just think I didn't really have a bad time. I don't think. I do think if you can grow up in the valleys, you could grow up anywhere. You have to be a bit tougher, I feel. It's not like a Cardiff situation. Yeah, I think you do have to be a bit tougher. So I was doing a little bit of research and mm. an article in The Beauty Boy describes you as our generation's leading male makeup artist. Mm. Very nice. I haven't even seen that. So would you have ever dreamt as a teen in your early 20s of receive, no. receiving <laughs> such an accolade? <laughs> no, because... I always thought I was going to be a famous pop star. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be Kylie. And if I wasn't going to be Kylie, I was going to be a Spice Girl. So makeup was never a thing, never an option, never a thought. And then it was a total accident that I've fallen into it. And I feel lucky because I always used to think, like, if I can't sing or be a performer, there's nothing else I want to do. So what am I going to do? And I feel lucky that I've actually fallen into something that a i'm good at but b that i'm obsessed with you know obviously we're going through this situation at the moment but normally it'd be nothing for me to work seven days a week like every week but i always say it doesn't feel like work because i'm doing what i love you know and you've kind of made it you know yes you've done this makeup thing and the hairstyling which could have been seen as a completely different career path but it's sort of put you on camera anyway you've still Mm. shone as a performer okay you are being yourself but a version of yourself so Mm. you know you've become a tv personality in your own right qvc in five countries or whatever it is did you mean to do that or was that an accident no literally that's what i say my entire career is like whether it's a fluke whether it's an accident but the things with being lucky is you've got to back it up and luckily I've been able to back it up I think that's where the success has come from like one of the most surreal moments 
I think I was doing QVC at the time and then I was like, right, I want to do this morning. I want to do those makeovers that I see on this morning. So I remember getting together like my little like QVC showreel. I remember taking some donuts to ITV and just saying, can you give this showreel to like, I can't even remember who it was, but I was like, make sure that he gets it. And I just remember following and following, following up. And then the next thing they were like, right, we want you to come in and do an audition. And I remember the auditioning, you had to do full makeup and talk in six minutes, which is obviously ridiculous. But I got one of the hottest models that I know to come along with me because I thought I can literally throw anything on her face and it's going to look good. And basically got the job. And one of the most surreal moments was going to the studio. It was the summer show. So hosting the shows was Baby Spice, Emma Bunton. <laughs> so you can imagine I was having a heart attack and Jamie Theakston. And then just hearing the like theme tune and then I'm there speaking to Baby Spice. She's like, Mikey, so... And that was definitely like, oh my God, what is going on? Very surreal. And then a really lovely story. I mean, you know my mum really well. She's like really protective and obviously mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with her. I think it was two Christmases ago I came home and we went, do you call it Winter Wonderland in Cardiff? Yeah, that's right. There was this gang of girls just like looking at me and it happens, like not being big-headed, but it happens quite a lot, like... When it first started happening, I, the old sort of self-doubt used to sink in and I'd be like, what are they looking at? They're talking about me. They're saying something bad. Whereas actually, probably then when I get home, I'd get messages on Instagram saying, oh my God, we've seen you today, but we were too scared to come over. Anyway, so there I was with my mum and she was like, those girls are looking at you. I was like, oh God, don't worry, it's fine, wherever. Anyway, we kind of went to walk away. And then they all came running towards me and was like, oh my God, makeup by Mikey. And like, they just wanted pictures. And my mother was like, what the hell is going on? But it was amazing because she was so proud. And it was just amazing that she could like see that experience. The other thing that I tend to do is think, I want to work with that person. And I obviously, I do believe in the secret. Have you read the secret? You I have, know. I have read it. Well, I think I live like that anyway, but I think what the secret does sometimes if you have like maybe downtime it kind of sets your mind back into the right frame of mind so a lot of the jobs i've done i'm always like i really want to work with that person and then i swear to god the next thing i'll get an email saying oh can you do a shoot with blah blah and it's the person that i've thought of <laughs> so being in this career do you ever get comparisons made between you and say other gay tv personalities in the same line of work so in the world of fashion for instance like gokwan and can you see similarities like that if they're made? Or do you just consider that narrow-minded, oh, he's gay, he's in the world of fashion, so they must be very similar, and they must be best friends? Mm, I mean, I don't really get that, because I I think fashion, like Gok, is like working with the real women and that kind of vibe. Mm. Whereas I call myself a reality whore, because I obviously <laughs> do a lot of like reality stars. I've got some actresses, I've got some very wealthy clients... So no, I don't really get compared. Just trying to think back. I think like in the beginning of the career, people would be like, oh, you've only got that opportunity because you're a gay man, because like there's so many girls who do makeup and obviously being a gay man doing makeup makes you different already. So you're having an easier ride. Whereas anyone that knows me knows that I have literally worked my bum off to get where I am today. Like it hasn't come easily. It hasn't come overnight. It's all been a journey. And I think part of the success is doing this morning I never thought oh I've made it now yeah I was always thinking right when this is done what's next and yeah. it's always what is the next thing who is the next person what's the next thing 
some might argue that being a man in this industry has actually made it harder for you, not easier. Mm. I think in my experience, it comes down to a preference. My clients obviously book me for a reason. I would say it's half the way I make them look and half the way I make them feel. And I think that's how you keep clients because they fall in love with like that aspect of how they look and feel. It's a trust thing. I think it's a preference thing. Some women prefer a man doing their makeup. Some women prefer a woman. Maybe because I live in London, I don't see, I don't know, I just feel like it's totally normal. Like there's loads of male makeup artists. So I've never thought, ooh, I'm doing something that not many people do because there's so many. You said a lot of people rebook you and it's partly because of, yeah, how you make them look, but how you make them feel and your whole Mm -hmm. vibe and personality. Do you ever just wake up in the morning and think, I can't be bothered with all the small talk and making them feel amazing and that charm? Does it come naturally or do you have to play Mikey the character? The honest answer, I've never woken up in the morning and gone, oh my God, I've got to go to work now. Like, ever. So that's why I know everything is for a reason I've ended up in the right job because, like I said, maybe I'll have a moment when I've got to get up at 3am because who likes getting up at 3am? But I kind of look at the money that I'm earning or the experience I'm having And I say all the time, like, I cannot believe that I'm actually a lot of the time paid to do what I do because it is so much fun. You almost feel guilty that you're getting paid because it's just, it's like a laugh. You're making someone look good, getting paid really well. You're having a great day. You become friends with those clients. And just thinking back to the days when, you know, I did work in the valleys and I was in Tesco's collecting the trolleys. I mean... Probably in those days, I'd wake up and think, oh, God, not today, (laughs) but never doing the makeup. That's the dream, isn't it? To find that passion. There's some statistic that is, what's that saying where they say, like, if you find something that you love, you've never worked a day in your life. It's definitely true. Like, I've had amazing experiences. I've traveled the world, worked with amazing people. I love London. There's no negative. I'm always myself. You've known me for a long time, but I don't think I've changed. I'm always myself with whoever I'm with. It doesn't change. So, Mikey, Gregorian, Masters of Chant, what can you tell us about your time as a superstar monk? Superstar monk? I mean, I was 20. I was offered a recording contract. I thought, right, we're going to be the next Spice Girls, the male version, obviously. Um, And it wasn't until we flew to Germany and we were covering an REM classic of Losing My Religion that I thought things weren't kind of going in the direction that I thought. And then it got worse when we got the costumes because they told us that we had to dress up as monks. So it was an experience. I remember doing like Top of the Pops in Spain, having minders, having fans, having chaperones. I even had a shader at one point because they didn't want the sun to get on my face. Um, And they said that I had the face of an angel. (laughs) 
Um, very bizarre times. There is still an album and a DVD floating around if you really want to check it out. That is a brilliant story, Mikey. Thank you so much for sharing. And for any of our listeners that want to check that out, if you go onto YouTube and Google Sounds of Silence by Gregorian Masters of Chant, and you'll see a beautiful redhead with the face of an angel. If you made your millions and never had to work again, do you do you ever see yourself no, retiring? I just bought a flat and I told the mortgage broker that basically I'm retiring at 85. If shares still going, why should I stop? I don't know. I think we live longer. We look younger these days. And I think that is a part of the reason that we're working longer. I don't know. I just can't imagine not working. I'd be bored. Speaking of boredom and not working... Mm. I'm guessing you're finding yourself with a lot of downtime, as everyone is. Leads us on nicely. What measures are you putting in place to ensure, number one, that you don't lose clients during this <laughs> period of madness? I'm guessing there's an element of, I need to be face-to-face with this person to do their hair and makeup. Mm. I mean, there are things like online tutorials, I suppose, and you did an Instagram Live yesterday, which I checked out, which was fantastic. The dreaded brows, what do we do if you pluck them? They don't grow back, it's an absolute nightmare. So on Jane, I'm using a powder and I've created a beautiful brow. Brows, I would say, knock about 15 years off. So we've got some hair, so we're just gonna follow through what's missing. So in the direction that the hair would grow, use an angled brush, it's gonna make it so much easier for you. And I'm mimicking the growth of the hair. Are there there any measures you're putting in place to keep in the loop, as no, it were. So I think like like the theme of this whole interview, I fly by the seat of my pen. So <laughs> when this started, like I was already booked up for months in advance. Like I had bookings definitely till August. And as I said, I would work like six days a week, seven days a week. So I've suddenly gone from that to literally my diary being stripped. There's not a single job in there. Everything is cancelled. Everything's postponed. I have no plan other than staying positive. Like, I feel the way I'm looking at this situation, the world is in this situation. There's nothing we can do. We have to go through it together. The positive things are that I never have a holiday and never take a break. So I'm like, this is a forced break. And if I do get the government loan, which I hope that most of us do, then it's almost like a paid holiday, which again would never happen for self-employed people. So that's another first. The Instagram live. I don't really want to do tutorials because I just feel with all this going on in the world, I think there's such bigger problems than showing you how to apply some makeup. I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. Whereas the Instagram live I did was a Mikey meets where I'm just interviewing celebrity guests and just having a laugh. They're asking me questions. I'm asking them questions. And again, That is a spur-of-the-moment situation because I don't even speak to my Instagram. I don't do the talking to the camera thing. It freaks me out. So what do I do instead? I just decide to go live with a celebrity. (laughs) That's me. And then I just hope on the flip side that it doesn't go on too long. And I just feel where the year would naturally have dips of busy and a bit quieter, I feel like the year is just going to be so busy because everyone's on catch-up. We're all being forced not to work. And I almost feel like once... It's safe. I feel like it's literally going to be full steam ahead. It's going to be bad for a while. And then all of a sudden, it's just going to thrive again when everyone Mm. is able to go back to work. And, you know, definitely. So finally, then, after this fantastic interview, thank Mm -hmm. you again for coming on. 
Finally, Mikey, can you offer much needed advice? I know you said that there might be more important things going on, but for example, the men and women out there that might be listening to this podcast with their roots showing, they can't get to the shop, they're self-isolating, or wherever they might order their products, are having delays of three months, they haven't got any makeup, they can't get to their tanning place, they're feeling pale, pasty, they can't go... Are you talking about me? Just anyone, anyone that might be self-isolating and feeling dog rough as it's Listen. happening. My hair's growing out. I'm wondering, can I cut it with a kitchen scissors or shall I use nail scissors? I mean, it's bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> what, what advice I would mean, you give? I did something on my Instagram the other day because there's so much like, I feel in this time, another thing that's not really appealing to me is like everyone's become an expert on everything like everyone's doing the workout videos and makeup tutorials and hair and telling us how we should isolate and what we should do and I just did a story the other day and I said you know what you can just actually just lie in bed for a week and just watch really bad tv or really good tv because we just need to do what is going to get us through this time it's like unprecedented it's never happened in our lifetime so I would just say, do you. And if I think you just need to look after yourself. So like just things for me would be like a nice bath, maybe putting a face mask on. And like you said, if you can't get the face mask delivered, you can make one. You know, you can use an avocado from the fridge. Mm -hmm. There's so many recipes online where you can actually make your own. You can make your own hair mask. I think just like self-care. I mean, the roots. I've got to stand up for my hairdresser friends here. Mm hmm they would rather you leave your hair alone right. and just book in with them as soon as this is over because you're going to do more damage to your hair at home and then <laughs> it's, you're going to be in a whole lot worse. And at the end of the day, who's seeing you? No one. Well, just the wife. So I just think literally, <laughs> well, she loves you, you're married. Hopefully she won't divorce me because of a, she won't. <laughs> my true face. <laughs> Just maybe like, have you got dimmer switches in the house? Maybe turn the lights down. and look. We do touch. actually, we do. Good idea. <laughs> Well, I suggest get that lighting down, my darling. <laughs> um, but no, I just think like, even for me, like I'm obsessed with fake tan. I haven't fake tan because I've been so busy for months. I'm going to do it tomorrow, I've decided, because I need to feel better. Like I'm literally like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Fake tan always makes me feel better. So that's going to be my treat tomorrow for some kind of normality and to make me feel a bit more like myself. But... I still stand by just do you, whether you just want to eat. You know, there's so much pressure of this time where, oh, we should be working out. We should be doing this. You could actually do the opposite. And this could be your downtime where you do put two stone on because you're soon going to lose it when you're going to go back to work. I think you've really got to look for the positives of communities are coming together. Like when we've done clap for the NHS out the window, I cry when like the neighbours wave to us. Like it's so bizarre. So yeah. I think like there's a definite community spirit, which again hasn't existed before. Definitely not in London. And I think like reconnecting with old friends. So I think turning what is negative into positives and just making the best of it. And some days are going to be worse than others. There, there are going to be days when you feel ratty. You don't want to get dressed. You don't want to brush your teeth. You don't want to do anything. That is also fine. As a final thought then, what for you personally is essential for you to maintain <laughs> good mental health? Oh, I've always been just like a super positive person. It takes a lot to 
knock me off that kind of track. I've just got really good family and friends. I think that's a huge part of it. I think like really strong women in my life, like particularly like my mum and sister, definitely. Having an amazing partner. I think your home life is really important. Like I've bought a flat recently. So I think that is almost like your sanctuary. I don't think it's like, like I've obviously spoken about the fake tan. I don't need the fake tan. I would still be happy without the fake tan. That's not a thing. But it's a little thing that maybe might pick my mood up a little bit. Or for anyone that's bored, I mean, I've literally finished today the morning show, if you heard about it. Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Apple TV. It is absolutely phenomenal. Watching a really good series. I think talking to your friends, your family. I know that you do this as well. Shoving on a Kylie track, having a little bop around the living room, singing in the shower. There's just so many things that goes on and on. I don't know. I've just been brought up to be a very strong person and I'm, I'm mentally very strong. So very last question. You said that three questions. Ago. I know, but you've brought up <laughs> Kylie now. So, so I've thrown oh. on an extra. What would be we your... We can't go without talking about Kylie. Exactly. Go what on. would be your ultimate feel good <sighs> Kylie song or singing in the shower lifting up your mood what would what would you be putting on right you're gonna have to work with me here because there's just so many it's probably an easier question to say which songs i don't like which is probably <laughs> one um which is probably easier which one don't you like do you know what if i had to get rid of a song it would probably be something like do you know if this is going to shock you but locomotion what do you think <laughs> is that controversial no, I, I see where you're going with that. I do love the Abbey Road version of that yes. song. So I'm going to give you Feel Good Kylie. It's going to be Turn It Into Love. It's going to be Enjoy Yourself, Better the Devil You Know, Spinning Around, Can't Get You Out of My Head, Dancing, <laughs> Into the Blue, Slow. I love Slow. <laughs> I mean, that's why we're obsessed with her, isn't it? How many times have you seen her live? Oh, it must be about, I want to say eight it's more than that. Well, I don't know what's happened since I last spoke, but I've seen her about 56 times. Probably because, you know, <laughs> I go to the tour about three or four times. So, like, I've bumped into you in Cardiff. I would go to London a few times. She's just the best, like, absolutely obsessed. And I said yesterday on my Instagram Live, I've met her twice, and I've got dragged away by security twice because I literally was a blubbering mess in front of her, and she was terrified. But it's our <laughs> idol. And, you know, to finish this story, we know we've still got the visions of us driving down that motorway in the Robin Reliant with probably I'm over dreaming over you That's or turning into love blasting. Um, as we were heading off to Cardiff on our gay night out. When we would get to the club, we were so choreographed that people thought that we were the entertainment. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, us up on the stage doing uh, what do I have to do? Oh, my God. So many dance routines. God, on amazing. that lovely memory and on that note, I will say <laughs> goodbye. Thank you for taking time to speak to me. No it's, worries. It's been a pleasure. It's been a joy. Thanks. Join us next time on Mouth Off when we interview musical director and composer Anne-Marie Lewis-Thomas. I think the, the way you've labelled me, a, a gay working class Welsh woman in a predominantly male profession, is really interesting because, to be honest, for many, many years, I think I fought all of those descriptions. Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? 
Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.